Rejection most times is the redirection we need to unlock our truest potential. Life puts us in some uncomfortable and unexpected situations despite our efforts and plans. So how do we look at failures as opportunities? How do we deal with life's uncertainties, identify some losses as wins, all while not labeling ourselves as total losers or failures? You'll find out right here on Redirection with Terry Carell. Welcome to another episode of Redirection with Terry Carell. It's always a pleasure to have you guys and to know that you are tuning in. You know, I was checking the stats a couple of days ago and I'm seeing my podcast showing up, you know, USA, Canada, UK, Trinidad and Tobago, big up to my island massive, you know, Cayman Islands. I, I wasn't even expecting Cayman Islands and they're really showing up in the Cayman Islands for me and even in Japan. My podcast is registering in Japan and I have a funny feeling that Kadia, who is a Jamaican, who's living in Japan, I think she's probably one of the huge reasons why I'm showing up in Japan. But I just want to say that wherever it is you live, if you ever chose to listen to even one episode or if you subscribed or downloaded the podcast, I really just want to say that I appreciate each and every one of you. So don't forget Use the hashtag redirection with TK across your platforms. And of course, if there's any part of your life that you think, hey, I've been redirected and maybe my story could inspire others, visit terrycarell.com, get on the podcast page, and of course, share your story and I will contact you. And you know, you could actually end up on the show. So what do I have lined up for you today? My guest, who I have known for years in you know professional circles, made it swear it was Jamaican. Until just recently, I found out that he, in fact, wasn't Jamaican and actually escaped a civil war that was taking place in his country. And he moved to Jamaica when he was just 13. And since then, he has grown, he has claimed and owned spaces, ventured into spaces as an author, a financier, an event planner, entertainment, brand manager, like... And he does all of them very, very well. Listen, it is my pleasure to have Ibrahim Conte, or you can just call him IB. Stick and stay. We'll be right back. All right, thank you so very much for joining me. Okay, so this person is very, very special to me. And I, I've told him before that I feel like I've been a lurker and a stalker. He's someone that I follow across his platforms, but I recently reached out and said, listen, I would like to engage you. And for persons who say, Terry, you do a lot, I do nothing in comparison to this gentleman who in a nutshell is... Um, author, he's in marketing, communications, event planning and consultancy, um, also uh, a banker. He's everything and then someone. I think he has a very powerful story and I'm just so honored to have Ibrahim Conte with me this afternoon. How are you? 
I'm doing well. I'm honored um, to be invited here and to be speaking with you today. The pleasure is really mine. No, thank you so very much. Now, the first question I ask all guests, simply because this podcast is about redirection, you know, starting off on a journey, thinking you're going in some place and then you get shaped and molded and you end up somewhere else. What you are doing now or the many things that you are doing now, is this what you ever imagined or dreamt? Absolutely not. Uh, absolutely not. Um, I, in prep school um, and parts and, and most of high school, you know, I thought I was going to be a lawyer. Um, <laughs> yeah, there was a point when I was at Youth Link, you know, I wanted to be a journalist. Um, so, you know, I thought, okay, yeah, I could do both, but I never imagined I would be doing what I'm doing now. Yeah, at, at all. It is amazing. Um, when I first met you, I was telling you it was about maybe five to six years ago. I was working at the Gleaner at the time. And right. I, as I tell you, you know, I don't, I don't drink alcohol. You know, beverages don't really seem to get my attention. But then all of a sudden it was like, boom, Sky Vodka came out of nowhere. It was a cool vibe. It looked good. Everyone wanted to either drink it or be at its parties or pop-ups. And I think I met you as the brand manager or the marketing manager, the, the, the brain behind Sky Vodka. And I think that's the very first time we met you. Is, was, was, was that your, your introduction to corporate or were you always doing things before that? Um, I was doing things so while I was at UWE, um as, as the Cultural and Entertainment Affairs Chairman. That was my first, I, I was planning uh, uh, events and activation for brands on campus. Um, but my first introduction to corporate um, was at Lassells, which was the sister company for Jerry and Every Lassells Wines and oh, Spirits. Gotcha. I started as a senior. Yeah, as a senior marketing officer for Campari, Sky Vodka, and JBW Rum. And then a year later, I was promoted to brand manager for Sky Vodka and Campari. You did a fantastic job. And it was only afterwards that I start finding out that you are so much, you're so much more. We're all so, you know, we're layered. And sometimes you get caught up in corporate with a particular image. You, you get married to a particular brand that people kind of sometimes assume that that is it. And they have absolutely no clue what your layers are. So I'm going to take us back to Genesis, back to the younger IB. And I understand that we call you IB because people butchered <laughs> your name, which is Ibrahim. And we're going to get to that because Jamaicans have, a, I mean, they've mastered the art of butchering people's names. So let us go, let's go to the Genesis of, um, first of all, about me not even knowing you were not Jamaican. You sound Jamaican, <laughs> act Jamaican, you look Jamaican, and yet still I, I learned that you are, you are, you're from Sierra Leone. So tell me about um, the family, the background, and the early part of you growing up as, you know, Prince I.B. before you came King I.B. Conte. <laughs> yeah, so um, both of my parents are from West Africa, Sierra Leone. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually, I was born in Russia. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the yeah, story so just I, got more interesting. <laughs> yeah, I was born in Russia. Uh, my mother, um, she was the first one out of the family to get a scholarship to go to college. So she, but she got pregnant around the same time she got the scholarship, and she said, "You know what? She's not staying. She's gonna go." So she went to Russia. She had me. Um, I, I was only in Russia for about six months until mm-hmm. I was about six months old. Then I'm, I moved to Sierra Leone um, with my father and my the rest of our family, um, while she stayed in Russia. 
um, when she finished studying. By the time she finished studying in Russia, um, she had separated with my father. She met my stepfather, who is Jamaican. So that's oh, where the, the Jamaican connection. Right. So, you, you know, during that time, um, the Soviet Union had a close relationship with various countries. So Jamaica was one of them. So Jamaica would get a lot, a lot of Jamaican students studying in Russia. So my stepfather was fortunate. He was one of those um, persons who got a scholarship to study in Russia. Um, and then when they left Russia, they moved back to, they moved to Jamaica. And then I left Sierra Leone. Um, but it was, it's a, it's a little bit more dramatic than that. It's, oh, a, it's, it's a lot more complicated. All right. So let mm-hmm. me, so let me, let me slow things down. So here it is. Mommy, you know, has you, you, of course, you're with your father, you're with your, your, your siblings in Sierra Leone while she is finishing up or, you know, trying to, to make the best of her education in Russia. How was that distance? How did you manage that distance and how old were you or how long, how, how long were you um, apart from your mom? Um, about nine years, about eight, nine years. Yeah, I didn't see. Um, so she, uh, my mother visited once, um, and but she would send letters and she would call. You know, it's not like now where you know we can zoom and we have so many different ways in which you can communicate. Then it would be via letters or whenever she can get to call because the calls would have been so expensive then. Right. Um, and she visit and I and I still remember. I think I was about four or so. Um, when she visited, um, and I was with my father, and it was not until he left when I was about six, uh-huh. um, and then I was with my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, until the Civil War, and that's when we left Sierra Leone. Wow! No, no, I am not, I'm not afraid with the with the African um, in terms of African culture, but I know that when it comes to African families, mothers play an integral role. Like they are the ones, they're the glue. You know, daddies Definitely. always sit at their head, but the mothers are really the nurturers. Um, did you ever feel different in comparison to maybe the other um, students, your other friends, your neighbors? Did you ever feel like, man, I'm missing out because mommy is like MIA, even well, she sent her letters? Right. It is a very good question to ask because my maternal grandmother, even to this day, I don't call her grandma, I call her mommy because wow. she was my mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we just had that attachment. So she, so even though when I would be by my father, she would still come and get me whether weekends and so forth. And then by the time he left, you know, I, I was with her. So to this day, I, I don't like all my cousins, etc. call her grandma, I call her mommy, mommy. because, you know, she was... Yeah, my first mother, so to speak. You know, even though I know I had mom, but I had mommy as well. Right. And as you were growing up, you know, a lot of us, they're like, they're persons who say, Terry Carell, you are the same person you were in prep school and high school. You're just older, but you know, your personality is still the same. What type of person and student were you? Were you like always overachiever, adventurous, you know, always looking to change the space and innovate, or were you completely the opposite and shy? Um, <laughs> I would say, okay, so in, in, in Sierra Leone, I, I, I just used to just love play, um, <laughs> football, just run up and down. Uh, my grandmother would tell me, don't go outside and play with the boys. And by the time she's gone, I'm out there playing. And running back home as soon as I know she's on her way back. Um, I was an I was I was I was an average student up until 
um, I got to Jamaica. I think my, my mother made me realize my true potential. Um, uh, until I got to Jamaica, um, that was when, you know, I, I was always, well, my first semester, uh, I'll never forget my first term, I, I came last. Um, second term. <laughs> what? <laughs> right. Um, yeah, yeah. So, okay. So, to, to step back a little bit, so, um, because I wasn't in school for like about a year because of the Civil War. Um, right, which, so I'm going to, which I'm going to get into, um, like, like shortly after I'm going to get into that. Mm-hmm. Right. So when I, so I wasn't in school from like the January to the August. Um, so for almost a year, um, so I was behind. Um, but I remember my mother telling me, don't worry, just work hard, just focus. You're very bright. You can't do this, etc. And by the second term, I, I was in like the top 10. And after that, like right through prep school, I was not out of the top five or top three, you know, um, in, the, in the year group, not even just in that class. And it was, you know, my mother who constantly, it, it, so it's not just giving that belief, but that extra work. So, you know, come from school. Yes, you might have a little TV time, but time to do your work. So she, you know, ensured that I developed that work ethic and, you know, that belief in myself that you are brighter than this or you can do this you know you can be top of this class don't tell yourself just because you know you place like this you know right you 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 are not defined by that last place position in the in the class and you shouldn't be defined when you came to jamaica how old were you i was nine you were nine and english would not have been your first language i presume no definitely not Um, (laughs) talk to me because because i mean you might have come last and and maybe you would be the better person to tell us because there is a cultural difference so there's there's culture shock there is the language but there's a language barrier you would have been out of school so there's also that scholastic gap so i mean i want you to kind of tell me um, from the language all the way through to the culture, you know, you figuring oh, it yes. out and figuring it out very quickly oh. in order to, to, to do so well by second term. Oh, yes. So um, we'll begin with the language. So uh, my my father's side of the family is Timney. Um, that's the biggest the, the biggest tribe in, in Sierra Leone. Mm-hmm. And my mother's side is Mende, the second biggest tribe. So they speak two different languages. But then you have Creole, which is the Creole that is uh, spoken in Sierra Leone. That was what I, I primarily spoke. Uh, then I could understand Mende. So when I moved to Jamaica, I didn't know any English. I and don't I remember believe my you. Mother... I, be, I don't <laughs> believe you, IB. So, no, I, wait, I, I could understand, but I couldn't really speak, speak it, it. Um, well. So what my mother did was like, okay, you know, in the house, um, if you want, if you're asking me for something, you want to have a conversation, we're speaking English. So it, it helped wow. me, you know, in terms of speeding up the process in getting caught up in school. And I remember um, my friends in prep school, they, they would tease me and say, you know, African or, or Kunta and, and those things because I had a really thick accent. I didn't learn Patwa until like my third year in Jamaica, you know. Um, and I remember when I started speaking, part of my friends would look at me so weird because by the time I caught English, <laughs> some persons used to call me English because I just spoke straight standard English. Straight English. Uh, yeah. Um, and then the culture shock because um, where we lived in, in Sierra Leone, you know, unemployment was pretty high. Mm-hmm. And I remember my mother would remind me, would say to me like, 
the first day I was there, I was so confused. I was asking her, mom, where's everybody going? You know, why everybody going to work? Where's where are all these people going? Right. Um, and then the food part was so interesting. So in, in Sierra Leone, the culture is um, all the girls, the women and, and the men, the big, they all have their plates. So the father of the house, he has his own plate. Um, he has his own dish. The um, the aunts, etc., mother, etc. But the boys, so from three, from age three to let's say fifteen, mm-hmm. um, you all eat out of one big dish. So um, when I moved to Jamaica, my mother was wondering why am I eating so fast? I'm not eating the food. So she called my grandmother saying, "Why aren't you feeding him? Why is he eating so fast?" She was so concerned. But it was when now she realized because I was much younger than her. Uh, my 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 uncles and cousin, uh, you know, as a as a nine year old, I, I can't be taking my time to eat because if I take my time to eat and the fifteen year old, you don't get no food, <laughs> yeah, right? So I'm gonna eat fast. So it was a huge um, culture shock for me. You know, it was a huge culture shock. Um, you know, I, I thought Jamaica, you know, the stereotypical because I would see cool runnings, etc. You know, I thought we were going to the beach. So when we pull up in Portmore. I was so confused. I'm saying, where's the beach? (laughs) Right? Uh, So yeah, so it was really different. And and I guess uh, after a while, you know, I fit in, but I've always felt slightly different. An outsider. Um, Right, yeah. I've always felt like an an outsider, um, so to speak. But then it's interesting, when I go around Africans, I feel like an outsider you know i still feel the connection in certain ways but i still feel like an outsider because you know my i've been nurtured as a jamaica as a jamaican I, from my city right. man from my city port more sun city yeah. big up on itself so <laughs> so i be you know you're you're young and, and children can be cruel like you know a lot of people have spoken about you know just being shaped and molded in schools and a lot of the time it's based on those experiences that your personality really comes to the fore so here it is you have this youngster who is african and you know, if I am if I am not mistaken, we would have seen movies like, of course, your Kunta Kente, your Shaka Zulu, and so we're we're having pretty much the same narrative that the world has of Africans. We don't learn about royalty and and riches and even Africans who are a culture. That's just not what we see. Um, did you find yourself having to work ten times as hard and defending your your nationality? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and actually, you know, that was one of the so so back then. So let's say in prep school mm-hmm. uh, when I just moved to Jamaica, there were certain things that my mother did to protect me. Um, so so like for example, boys or kids will tease me like Kunta Kinte and you know mm. uh, a Wimboway and you know certain things. Did um, you just say a Wimboway as in Lion King a Wimboway? Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So I'll be, I'll be like in the line at, at, at the lunchroom and a wimboy, a wimboy. So I mean, you you get to grow a thick skin. So, mm-hmm. um, but also, it's not like nowhere you find that the average person is really proud and you know want to embrace their blackness and their Africanness, um, so to speak. But then you know it was. I don't know if it's say frowned upon or you'd be teased about it. So later on is actually what shaped me to write um, the book that I co-wrote with um, Kwame 
you know, a very good friend of mine from... Book of Black Monday. Royalty. Yeah, the Book African of Black Royalty. and Queens. Yeah, because I, I never forget the day I was listening to a chronic song. Mm-hmm. And um, Eternal Fire, he said, tell me why I hear about Africa is shackles and chains. And, and then I just made this thread. I just started looking up um, Nefertiri, Mansa Musa, Nzinga, uh, um, Shaka Zulu, all these great African kings and queens. So it was a thread on Twitter saying, you know, um, we need to talk more about our rich heritage. You know, Africa, you know, Muta Baruka said, Africa, uh, slavery is not Africa's history. Slavery interrupted Africa's history. Absolutely. And not just that, yeah. it's the narrative that we have been taught in our books mm-hmm. and everything. In, our, in other words, history has been rewritten. And it's funny how you mentioned Mansa Musa because we, we've seen how recently um, it was announced that, um, what's the gentleman? Jeff Bezos is now mm-hmm. the first man ever to be worth 200 billion. And yet still history has shown us that it was an African man by the name of... Um, Mansa Musa. Who was worth like 400, 400 billion. Billion. Yeah. billion. And yet still, billion. that isn't something that everyone knows, especially us as, as black people. So when you actually wrote the book, I thought it was very good. And the manner in which you wrote it, it was easily digested and digestible by, by youngsters, which I thought was um, a good play. Definitely. Uh, because I remember at um, Woolmans and Monroe, you know, doing history, and, you know, you learn about Xerxes, Alexander the Great, all these European leaders and kings and so forth, and very little about Af- African history. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was what empowered me. And I say, you know, how can I play my part in terms of changing that narrative, changing that story for the generation to come up? So, you know, I, how can I change it for my kids? So the first person I read the book to, you know, were my kids, Zion and yes. Sierra. Yes. Because, you know, it's important. You know, that's how we start the change in empowering the kids. So, so, and, and one of the things that was important, I remember myself and Kwame, when we would be working with the graphic artist, um, I remember when she did a drawing for Nzinga and she had like a straight nose. She said, no, 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 no absolutely, absolutely not. Because it's important for a little girl to look on those features to be like, hey, those are my broad nose or those are my thick lips, etc. You know, so that they can identify like, oh, wow, you know. My Representation hair- matters, for Representation sure. Representation matters, yeah. And, you're, and you mentioned your kids. So let me just ask you, because you are like a hot pot of soup where everything mix up. You're, you're born in Russia, you grow up in Sierra Leone, you reach to Jamaica, you grow up in, you know, Portmore, you now live in the States, you have your kids how do they identify? Do they identify with that very rich history that is yours? Are they already trying to shape their own, you know, little um, worlds? How do they identify Absolutely. all of this? Yeah, so um, one of the things, and um, I, I, a lot of parenting tips I pick up from the internet, I, I'll never forget when Zion was about one, um, someone will go through like some words of affirmation. So I'll tell him, so like with my kids, I'll tell him, you're an African king. You're an mm. African queen, you know, you're Jamaican. So they, so I'm, I'm raising them to know that they're Jamaican and they're also African. Mm-hmm. Um, as even when it comes to like the food, uh, you know, is, so they're a little apprehensive, you know, because it's mainly Jamaican food, but right. I try to ensure that, you know, it's balanced as well so that they know their heritage and they know their history. Very nice. So let us, let us move back because one of the biggest things which I, which I think is, is one of the anchors for redirection is the fact that here it is, you're growing up, 
you know, you're in your, your beloved country. You are a normal kid, like everyone. You love goat, you love ramp, you, you try, you know, sneak out so your granny don't catch you. You try to get back in the yard before granny comes home. And then you experience a civil war. Mm-hmm. Now, for me as Terry Carell, civil war is something that I, I turn on to CNN or BBC and I go, oh my gosh, that's still happening. I've heard of civil wars in books. But then I've never been able to even speak to someone or imagine someone who I have passed. I, I mean, our paths have crossed. I've spoken to you. We exchange on social media. And yet still, I had no idea that you experienced civil war as a child and became a refugee. And that must have played a huge role in the redirection of your entire world and your journey. So if you can take me back to the moment you realized what this is, and how you could possibly be affected and not really being certain of what's next. Yeah, so um, my earliest memories, uh, I was about eight then. Um, I remember seeing, you know, you would hear, because the Civil War, so for persons, um, whenever I talk about it, I'll tell them, if you watch Blood Diamonds, yes, early yes. Um, you know, that, that's it. That was it. So I remember... I would see soldiers in the neighborhood and it was weird because, you know, you would ha- probably have relatives that are soldiers, but seeing soldiers and you'd hear adults having conversation, talking about things, but I didn't fully understand what was going on. So the civil war was going on for years, um, but the, the rebels that were trying to take over the country, they didn't reach to the capital as yet. And everyone was saying they would never make it to the capital like crazy. They could never take over the country, which they eventually did. But so getting to that point in time now when we um, escaped right before they came in, um, I remember one day I was playing and I saw a bullet um, in the yard and I, and I brought it in and my grandmother was like, yeah, this we is gotta it. We got to go. Yeah, this is it. And I remember my my. Oh, my uncles, they were saying, oh, no, they're not going to leave. So my grandmother, uh, myself, a um, couple cousins, and an aunt, we just packed up our things. Within a few days, we left. Now, when we were leaving, because the, the soldier, the, the, the rebels, what they were doing is that even at my age, uh, as long as you're strong enough, can hold a, a, an assault rifle at AK-47. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, you're ready. Um, so we had to hide in the back of our truck. Um, and I remember they stopped the truck and we're fretting because we were hiding under like some produce, um, you know, just because that, at that moment, you know, it could be, that's it. That's it for us. So at that moment, you know, so it was, uh, they had a stop and they stopped the, the vehicle that was leaving. And, you know, it was at that moment, are they going to let us go? Are they going to search this vehicle? And our life is over and they let us go. Um, so it was a huge sigh of relief. We escaped, we went to Guinea, um, Guinea-Bissau. So we were in a refugee camp. We are in a refugee camp for a few weeks until we got processed and everything and we left. So we were in a refugee camp. I remember, let's say, it, you'd have like three houses mm-hmm. um, and about, like, say, two family in a house. You just have your area where you can sleep. And you had, like, two bathrooms for, like, 50, 60 persons. So there's a long line to use about i mean i don't even want to give it a detailed condition about it was really bad um but then after a few weeks um we were able to leave there 
and we got an apartment. So Guinea is a, is a French-speaking colony. Right, so I, I, studied, I studied with some of them. I, in fact, I didn't even realize until I was in Cuba and I learned that, you know, you have Guinea, Bissau, Conakry, and um, right. Equatorial. And that's when I learned mm-hmm. that you have Spanish, Portuguese, and French, which was... French, right. Right, yeah. So we were there. So I, I, um, I didn't even remember. My, it was my grandmother telling me I learned the language. I mean, I would have learned the language, you know, because I would be playing with the boys that were there. And to this day, the French bread is one of my favorite bread because you know that's what we used to eat when we were there, um, in Guinea. Um, and then you know, after a while, my mother got me a, you know, tried and got me a visa, and then that was when you know I moved from Guinea. To Jamaica. How did you and keep in contact, or how did your mommy? I mean, she was in Russia at the time, or she was in Jamaica. No, she was in Jamaica. So she was in Jamaica settling and everything. How, how how does how does family stay in touch? Um, because I'm hearing you tell the story, I'm seeing you cross into Guinea, I'm seeing you being, you know, one of these numbers of persons, probably different tribes, probably different languages. How, mm-hmm. how is communication maintained? between someone who's in Jamaica not really knowing what's happening and you being in, I mean, you would have been young at the time, but can you remember what that must have been like? Um, well, I think I remember the first time, you know, I spoke to my mother would have been after we left the refugee camp. Um, you know, we got to the apartment that we were staying in and um, they're, they're, we didn't have any cell phone. There are places you would go to, to make phone call. So we went there and, you know, we called her and so forth. I, I'm not sure what the communication was like prior to then, um, but I'm assuming it would have been letting her know, okay, we're leaving today um, um, to go to Guinea. When we reach there, they'll make contact and so forth. But I'll never forget, I remember the day, I still remember the day when I went for my visa interview and it was just the sheer excitement, the joy, and then in a few hours, the tears because like, oh God, you know, I'm leaving, he's leaving, mm-hmm. you know, so because everybody, yeah, so, you know, just the, the emotion coming from that excitement and then the tears to be like, the reality. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was, wow, you're bringing me back, having <laughs> It's bringing back like a lot of memories from then. I haven't even thought about since that. Yeah. And let me ask you, because you said like in prep school, you wanted to be a lawyer. At that point in time, before you came to Jamaica, is that when you wanted to be a lawyer or did you just, you, you hadn't figured out what you wanted yeah, to be? You were yeah, just having fun. Yeah, I was just having fun. You know, um, when I look back and when I look back on a lot of the things that were happening, um, you know, I'm grateful that the fact that the innocence of a child really protected me mm-hmm. um, because I didn't fully understand a lot of things. Uh, I went back to Sierra Leone in 2004 and my friends, my age group, when they were telling me their experience, you know, the fact that what my grandmother did leaving and what some, some of the other asked, you know, what happened to uh, Bakar? You know, these different persons that I grew up with, they were like, oh, you know, the, the rebels came for him. They, they oh killed this person. Oh and then my. those who, who refuse, you know, um, in order not to have them, say, join the, 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 the soldiers, they'll, they, you know, they'll amputate them. Um, so a lot of persons were amputated. Yeah. So for so, you, it was a blessing. It, it, it you was, probably it would not be who you are today it was, yeah. if it weren't for your, your, your grandma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my. So you get to Jamaica now. 
you figured out the la- well you seem to be somebody who catches on to language how many languages do you speak comfortably well i mean like i know um do you remember the- your old your your tribal yeah, language I, I, yeah i can't speak it or or fluently i can mm-hmm. creole i can speak it creole mm-hmm. i can speak um the rest i can understand um but the, i can't speak it fluently because what happened was that me trying to learn english i forgot everything else right. but it's interesting when i went back in 2004 within like a week or two it's like it came right back memory, it just came right back so you know i'm overdue a visit so we'll we'll see what that will be like next time i'm there nice so you're now in you're you're in prep school all right you're you're getting a custom you are um you know dealing with kids trying to figure out what's your next move what happens between prep school and high school that starts to to mold who you could potentially be you said your mommy was very instrumental in getting you focused keeping you focused you know keep making you a high achiever and showing you that your potential is so much greater did anything happen between prep and high school outside of your mom that made you say hmm all right i want to be something else or i know i want to do something else yeah well um so in Sierra Leone um my mother side of the family they're heavily involved in politics so like uh, my uncle grand my grandfather's um youngest brother he was the minister of education and um so our tribe you have an area where pretty much your the name kai kai if your name is kai kai you run for a, a position of member of parliament or chief you automatically get it so i guess politics or our community development of been in my dna so whenever you know you visit that side of the family they're planning something or they're organizing this thing or planning somebody's wedding or funeral and you know my grandfather he's huge on philanthropy um so you know from that age so from i was in prep school i i, I just wanted to get involved in something you know and in grade 6 for head boy you campaign right my mother was the one who she did this flyer boat for your first head boy of international flair born in What? russia raised in sierra leone bred in jamaica um you know and i and i got in that and i was in track and field i did a captain of the, the the track team in prep school um that was like 50 pounds ago <laughs> 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 yeah um so yeah so she got me involved where that is concerned um and then when i went i remember when i went to first form i just, i wanted to serve um you know i tried to be the student council rep um, i was that in, i was that in first form right but they didn't vote for me <laughs> wait what happened to the international flair you never use the same flyer from prep school come to high school what going on <laughs> It, 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 that that carried away that one was <laughs> yeah they, they didn't vote for me um second form i tried I, i didn't get it was not until third form and it was by default um but just something i just always wanted to you know be help persons to have a voice mm-hmm. um and you know just serve um and you know i got involved in student um leadership they continued track and field up to that point and debating um but right throughout high school it was really just debating i had a real passion for debate i loved debating nice um yeah um and you know monroe was a really great experience for me monroe um, was a very good school 
Yeah, that was a really great experience for what, me. Um, what made what made that diff- I mean, what what made Monroe different from um, Walmart's? Um, the boarding, the the boarding experience. You know, you really get to build really great bond, really great friendship, and also um, just how the system is set up, where you know the six farmers, the older boys, they're the the the, the monitors and so forth. Um, and if you're fortunate, like from my experience, I really had really good role models who will impart certain things to in terms of th- that structure that they had in place. So, for mm-hmm. example, you know, in a dining room, you have to use your knife and fork. Um, they, you can't leave your dorm without ensuring that your bed is spread. You can't have any crease on it. You know, just that structure that they have in place and that excellence and, you, you know, at Monroe, I tell people, you'll come seventh with a 97 average. You know, is that, is that competitive? It's competitive. Right. Let, let me jump in because you spoke about, you know, social graces, social etiquette, you know, learning to, you know, it's just simple things like making your beds, which is not something that you, you hear a lot of. In fact, it's a lot of us parents who probably experienced it. Like I experienced that with my grandmother, so I passed it on to my daughter and so forth. How important is it learning those things and not having those things um, label masculinity, uh, which, which is a problem in Jamaica? You know, we, we think that when it comes to social graces and social etiquette or even maintaining a clean place where there's a kitchen or your bedroom, somehow that's a gender role. Uh, females do that. But for man, man, a man. And, you know, masculinity is defined as something that does not have to do those things. And, and what is your, 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 your response to people who may think that way? And you see the difference. Like, I, I can, when I go to certain places, I, I see the difference between, like, things that I learned while I was at Monroe. Like, and they'll tell you, you know, we're young men of excellence um, and we're gentlemen. And you will see the difference in terms of how, you know, oh, man not supposed to do that and so forth, you know, and you, you stand out and you, you're not doing anything extra than what you were taught to do. Um, it's unfortunate, but it's, it's some of the things that I ensure that, you know, as a parent, I impart uh, to my kids and especially, mm-hmm. you know, Zion as a young man growing up um, where, you know, certain, I remember one day somebody I don't even know where um, someone said to him, you know, men not supposed to wear pink or men. Oh, Lord. I, I remember once um, when I was leaving, um, I was going on a trip to Jamaica and, you know, it was one of the first time we spent, a, we spent a lot of time um, together because I think I was off for like about two weeks or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was hard leaving. And, and, and for whatever reason, when he was hugging me goodbye, I started crying or, well, not crying, but tears are never like daddy. Why crying? Man, not supposed to cry. Oh, and I'm my. like, no. So, you know, I had to sit him down and talk to him. And I said, no, you know, you express your emotion. If that's how you feel, don't hold it in, express your emotion. So, um, and so, I mean, you weren't necessarily taught that, but just at Monroe, you were taught to be yourself. You were taught to just be good at whatever it is that you were doing. Because it's so interesting. Um, I'd compare Monroe to... I, I love Woolworths, you know. Um, you know, I had a great experience there. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting. Let's say, for example, at Woolworths, the most popular or the most popular students will be like the athletes. Right, while, the jocks. The jocks. Right, <laughs> right. While at Monroe, the athletes will be popular. But also, 
as popular will be the student leaders or whoever is the, the captain of the quiz team or the quiz members. Nice balance. That's mm-hmm. a very nice balance to give you a good idea of what popularity could be. It's not defined by any right. one particular thing. Right. Very yeah, cool. Yeah. So you go to Monroe and because I have to get to the point where you are all of these things. You know, a part of going to school sometimes is that we are educated to become assets to companies. We become assets to other people. We're rarely taught to be entrepreneurs or to think of being assets to ourselves and building our generational wealth. We're taught, get the grade, get the resume, polish it up, do an internship, go to corporate. That's how everybody kind of gets their start. And yet still, here it is, we have you who, you know, you did the branding and the marketing, a fantastic job at it. You're an author. I know that you sit behind the communications and marketing for strictly the best 2000s and, you know, Soka. Then, you, you know, you are a roving um, banker at Wells Fargo. It's like, how do you find out that, one, you can do all of these things and that you are good at all of these things and that you should just do it no matter what? How do you get to all of those things? How do you get to that point? Yeah, um, I, I'm driven by passion. So I, I do so many things, but I've turned on a lot more things because I, I just didn't feel passionate about it. If my heart is not in it, I cannot do it. Um, you know, um, or I can start doing it and I'll stop because I realize, you know, for me, it's not about dollars and cents um, because at the end of the day, I, I, I'm the type of person I wear my heart on my sleeve. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, if, if I like something I don't like, you're going to know. Um, so even like, for example, how I got into banking, um, I just went, um, I, I, I was a client um, and, you know, somebody mentioned about banking and I applied and I realized you, like, I what do you like, mean? Hold on. What do you mean? Okay. Ivy, Ivy, what you, you, you did accounts. You were an account. No, account? none at all. None you at did all. auditing. I hate math. I hate math. I hate math. Yeah. But, but what it is, banking has a lot to do with relationship management mm-hmm. and having good people skills. The rest is really easy. Um, you know, recommending something good, um for someone and so forth you know a good product or service or you know what you think you know designing whatever it is that they they have for their life goals and so forth but the thing about it is that you know what i got satisfaction from is seeing how somebody come to me like within you know you told me to get this product or you know this loan that i got or something how it made a huge difference in their life like i got a satisfaction out of that like i would, i like to say i am a i am a doctor but for finances you know and you know and it so just making a difference in someone's life you know that gave me that satisfaction like yes i see i saw how this person was going to financial ruin by them overspending or them, you know, uh, um, doing whatever it is. And I was able to lead them on the right path. So where is the, but where do you get the, the, where do you get off? Where do you get off having that level of confidence where we have persons who might have been more than qualified for that job, you know, in terms of Mm -hmm. what we see that resume probably looking like, where do you get off just saying, Hmm, you know what? That's something I'm going to apply for. Yeah, you know, I think I can do it. That, that, that fearlessness, where does that come from? Um, I guess it's, it's innate. Um, but it's, it's interesting. I am fearless, but also a lot of times I doubt myself. Mm-hmm. So 
yeah, I, I, I also doubt myself, but I will just tell myself, you know what? I'm going to give it my best shot. I can do this. Look at the things I've done before. And I, as any, everything that I've put my mind to, I've done it. Right. And I remember I told myself that, you know, I'm really passionate about this book. I want this, I, I want to tell this story. I didn't know how I was going to tell the story. And I said, you know, I'm going to write a book. And I, I just made up my mind I'm going to do it. And I started doing research. Um, I just started, I always tell myself, the more someone can tell me is no. Mm -hmm. So I remember um, Carol Beckford, I, I messaged her to say, hey, I noticed you wrote a book. If you don't mind, can I get some guidance? And she gave me, she wrote me a nice email to say, okay, you need to do this, that, that, that. This is how you put together a team, so forth. And I, I just get it done. I'm a driven person. If I make up my mind that I'm going to do something, like nothing can stop me from doing it. But, but you know, as simple, I don't even mean to cut you, but you know, as simple mm -hmm. as you make that sound, a lot of people are either ashamed or afraid to ask for help. People are either afraid of what the answer might be, which is simply you might get a yes and a no. And if you get right. that yes, oh my goodness, how doors could open for you. And there's some people whose ego, they can't get past their ego and they think that yeah. they can figure out everything rather than just asking. So the power of asking based on what you're saying is extremely important. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and one of the things that you touch on as well is understanding and accepting your own limitation. Um, and that was one of the best things that I've learned from an early age. Like before I used to try to do everything, but I understand that what I'm really good at is coming up with ideas, being creative, mm. um, the, so to speak, the, the, the architect. So I'll come up with the overall idea. This is how I want it to look and so forth. And then if I need to work with this person, um, I need somebody who is a stronger, because when I, the, the first, I had the idea how I want the book. I already did the research and everything, but I knew I wanted to talk to kids and I wasn't sure if I would necessarily could do that by myself. Right. I remember Monroe, Kwame, you know, we were like the top lit students in that class, one and two. And I said, you know, Kwame would be the best person to work with on this project. You know, I could have said, you know, I was a very good lit student, a good debater. I can do this by myself, but I understood my own limitation that I cannot bring this book to life how I want it to be done by myself. And I knew that, you know, with Kwame, we could bring that vision to life. And we did just that. How long you know, did it take you from, 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 from ideation of the book to publication and sales? How long did that take you, by the way? Um, about six, about eight months, about eight months. Uh, about eight months. Um, he, I remember Kwame came down to Florida. At the time, I was in Florida, and we worked like for about a week, just one week of just writing, and we kept on reviewing, reviewing. You know, I had a group chat with some friends that you know that are parents, so we'd send them um, one some of the script to say, "Hey, read this to your kids. What do you think?" And just to get feedback as we went along. We could have done it faster, but we wanted to get it right. Right. You know because. We had launched it February, but it was supposed to be the December. But we said, you know, we, we want to catch a Christmas sale, but we'd rather have a good product out at the right time than trying to um, get it between a particular time and it's not, you know, the right product. So really pleased where, so where that is concerned. Um, so even where events are, uh, um, are concerned, I 
reach I reach out the most someone can tell me is a no. So for even one of my events, Soka Forever, mm-hmm. um, I've never. I mean, I like Soka. I, I really like Soka, but I'm more. That makes one of um, us. <laughs> I, I, I'm more of a. <laughs> Garfin Garfin has been trying my bestie has been trying to like really marinate me and get me into the soca thing but I'm still very heavy reggae 90s dancehall girl yeah I'm still there but maybe what maybe you may say something to convince me or you know otherwise (laughs) so the floor is yours Uh, (laughs) so soca um you need to listen to groovy soca Mm-hmm. You know, um, groovy soca. I that's my thing. I love groovy soca, the more relaxed soca. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's like calypso, um, that's more like calypso, is that more it? like calypso? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So, like some kiss and and so forth. I'll okay. send you something, I'll, I'll send you something. I'm I think nice. Garfield is doing a good job, <laughs> yeah. So, so for that event, you know, what because I've I'm I was mainly doing um dancehall events. Mm-hmm. But what I said to myself was that I want to move to a different space where I'm an event manager and not a promoter. So uh, that's what's the what difference? What's the difference? So, pre- so pretty much I wanted to do different types of events. Mm. So not just a party. So one of the events, you know, before COVID that um, was going to happen this summer is Downtown Fun and Food Festival, which is a family event. Um, you know, we'll oh, have different... Man. Right. Um, and, you know, the second one, which was going to be October, um, was Portmore Fun and Food Festival, um, which is, a, you know, a family event, gospel artists, reggae artists, a, a good, clean family type of event, fun day, different food station and so forth. So I really wanted to expand the type of events I was doing. So moving just from parties, so to speak, but doing larger festivals. So the Soka event, which is Soka is, is a different space than dancehall. Soka, sure. you, you basically have to be invited or, to that space or you basically have to earn uh, to be in that space. So even when I, I was doing the stripes. that... Stripes, yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, so even when I did that event, um, the partners that I have, I reached out to them. I said the most they can tell me is, no, I, I had a vision. I was saying, you know, I look on the space. There's a space for this type of Soka event. And, you know, um, Richie, he's a director for... Jamaica Carnival, um, mm-hmm. that, that, one of the bigger bands, um, and Marlon, you know, he's a huge influencer um, in that soca space as well, and, and Dr. Philip Combs, and the event was a huge success immediately, um, but if I must be honest with you, you know, some of the larger players, you know, frowned upon it like, hey, ID is not a soca promoter, um, but for me, you know, I don't let someone saying no or i don't let uh, um any detractors or i don't let anything stop me if i if i have a vision and i know that you know this is what we can bring to the space this is how we can make so bigger i'm gonna go for it you know so that let me ask you a question ib because that's that that's the type of mindset and attitude that i think a lot of people they know they need to have but they can't seem to get over it if if there's anyone who's listening right now and chances are there's so many people going through different phases and stages of their life and even despite their track record of doing well in whatever space they are detractors and people uh, dream killers naysayers still have a massive stronghold on people's dreams where people will literally not go to the next level because of what someone says or the one no that they've gotten or the 10 no's 
what do you have to say to them in, in regards to getting over whatever roadblock they might be um, experiencing? Yeah, um, we, 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 we doubt ourselves so much or we fear failure so much that we don't try. And, and the thing about success is that people look on the end product, but they don't look on where was this person coming from. When I started doing event, I remember people used to laugh at me. Oh, you're a flyer. So whoever were the bigger promoters then, I used to be a flyer boy. That's how I started. Oh, you're a flyer boy for whatever. Wow. You know, doing little event at, at Michael College. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm a flyer boy. You know, I, I didn't let that stop me, but that presented an opportunity for me to network with these bigger promoters or persons to know my face. I'd be like, oh, that guy who used to always give out flyer there. And, and a lot of persons, they want to, the, the glitz and the glamour and, you know, to take the pictures, but they don't want to roll up their... The groundwork. Yeah, the groundwork. The work. Yeah. And I've had events that were not successful um, for years, for about, there was like a two-year period. Mm-hmm. Um, bef- uh, there was a two-year period. Every event I had rain out. I would never forget Mati Samuda, Senator Mati Samuda used to, <laughs> Mati said to me one time, he said, boy, IB, you always have some good idea, but you're salting a better. <laughs> <laughs> and what kept you going? What, what made you say, all right, you know what? Like, what made you have a different perspective? Because maybe the average Jamaican would have been like, you know what? Maybe God is sending me a sign that this is not for me. But instead, you are like, all right, don't worry about it. It's a rainy day today, but it'll be sunny tomorrow. That perspective. Yeah, I, I I just knew that I was not going to let this stop me. And I loved, you know, they say when you love what you do, I, I, had, I just had a passion for entertainment. I had a passion for, because for art, hearing a lot of person talk about events, you know, of course it's a for-profit business. So who doesn't love, you know, making a profit? But where I get my thrill is at the end of the night or halfway through the night seeing persons enjoying themselves and you know getting that feedback so you bring an idea to life to say okay this is how i want the entrance to be to you know so it's a 2000 party so you know walking through the tunnel you want to see the videos of bogle and this and that and then when you get that feedback like yo that was so good you know the detail in that you know that's where i get my satisfaction from so I always knew like this is what I want to do, but it, it maybe it's just not the right time. Right. Um, so so whenever the event ran out, I just after a while I started shifting to doing club events, you know, more indoor events. Uh, but I knew that you know the vision I had for some of my events it had to be outdoor. But I said maybe it's just not the right time. But I'm gonna I'm not gonna stop doing what I'm doing. I continue doing what I'm doing um, until you know things started to develop and because. you know. Yeah. Has anyone ever, has anyone who you trusted in that space, whether as, you know, business, getting um, ideas, because as you rightfully said earlier, you don't mind asking, you don't mind reaching out and trying to tap into people who may be stronger in a sense or can give you valuable um, insight or enlightenment. In your lifetime, has there ever been someone who you trusted either with an idea, an execution, who has betrayed you? And if so, how did you overcome that? Which is something else that people hold on to and that makes them very fearful of networking and tapping into and asking questions. Yeah, um, yeah, that, that has happened to me before. Um, and I remember I was, it, I've actually been in a business where my business partner was stealing from me, you know. Oh, um, my yeah. God. Yeah. So, and I mean, 
it it hurts, of course, especially you know when you consider you know the relationship. Because for me, going into a partnership with someone, it's more than just um, business. It's more than just business. You know, I, first, what one thing I like to do is like, hey, where would you like to meet? A comfortable space to get to know the person because you, know, you want to know if this is someone. Because chances are, I'm not looking to do a, a business for one year, two year. You know, so it's gonna be a, a for years marriage. to come. This is a right. marriage, right? So, um, but one of the things I, I make sure I do whenever if I conceptualize an event or any business idea, I go straight to Jaipo. So um, I go and register my ideas to ensure I protect my brand. And time to time, I'll always tell people that protect your brand. But I don't get, you know, I've had persons steal like um, one or two ideas from me, but I don't, I, I'm always thinking about something new, something different. So I don't even get caught up on, I was like, all right, you know, if there's something I can do to, pre- to prevent it, I'll do it. So what you find is that, so when Strictly 2K got bigger, and then another event, um, Strictly Addy, uh, when it got bigger, you, you find that different persons try to copy, you know, try to um, do their version of it using the same name. Um, but of course, wow. you can get lo- with, uh, quite a few times I have to get lawyers involved. You even had a guy in England where he literally stole our radio ad, stole our graphic. The only thing he changed was the venue. Like, I mean, it's so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> the venue and the date. Yeah, that was the only thing he changed. Wow. Yeah. And so, and so, and so, I mean, one of the, 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 the fantastic advice that you gave was to protect your brand, which I've told people all the time. Even yeah. those that are doing extremely well on social media, I said it's very easy to start a brand and to start a business. But have you even just secured your, your domain? Have you sec- actually secured your copyright? Have you secured, Absolutely. like, have you? Because if not, people who are copycats who are smarter than you, can in mm-hmm. fact take what you did not um, protect. So for you, it is protect your brand and not get caught up with the, the copycats unless it's legal, but continue, right. continue to um, push out um, innovative um, material. Absolutely. Absolutely. What? So, so I, mean, I, I, know, I mean, we'll soon wrap up because I know that you're a very, very busy man, right? Doing 3 million things and wearing 3 million different hats. And this is going to lead me into my question in a world where experts tell you to find your niche and finding your niche is important. It's important to know who your customers are, what market you're going to serve and to be as granular as possible. Um, a lot of experts would say, find that one thing, find that one solution or problem and focus on it. And yet still you are serving children. You are serving adults in the entertainment space. You are helping people with their finances, you know, through banking, you know, what is your idea uh, when it comes to those experts who basically say, pick that one thing and be that one thing? Be great at that one thing. Um, you know, don't, um, as long as you have a plan, there isn't, like my life, at the varsity, there, as long as you have a plan, there isn't a, a script to say, you have to do this or you have to go about um, this this particular way you know just go for it if it's something you're passionate about go for it you know one of my friends was telling me recently she's a teacher but she says she wants to leave um to start her own you know online classes and so Mm -hmm. forth i'm like you know as long as you have just put together a plan and just go for it um because if you listen to a, a lot of times detractors are people who tell you no don't do it and so forth it's coming from a good place 
you know, it's coming from a good place because that's their, that's their, their experience. On you. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, either their experience or, you know, their own limitation they're putting on you. But, you know, you just need to, if you believe that something can work, put together a plan and just go for it. You know, don't allow your doubt or someone else's doubt to hold you back because they probably tried and they failed or mm-hmm. they knew someone that tried and failed. So that's why they're projecting that on you that, yo, this may not work for this reason or that reason. And they may not necessarily know, but you have to have that um, willpower. What are, what are three of the biggest lessons you've learned in your life that you, you, you want your children to know? The three, three biggest lessons or three biggest teachings that you definitely, if they don't learn anything else or if they don't take away anything else from you, three things you think is important for them to know and carry on? Um, be true to yourself. Um, you know, that's one thing. Be true to yourself. Um, because at the end of the day, you, you, you have to, your happiness is what matters most. Um, don't try to please people. Um, you can't please everyone, you know, so be true to yourself. Your happiness is what matters at the end of the day. Um, Zion will say to me, you know, that what do you, he said the other day, he wants to be a police. He's like, but what do you want me to be? I said, I want you to be what you want to be. You know, whatever it is you want to be, you want to be a police, then be the best police that you can be. You know, be true to yourself um, and pay, pay forward. Anytime anyone will come to me for advice or whatever it is, um, whatever it is that they, for help, I always help persons. So if I see someone need help with whatever it is, because along the way, even though, yes, I had the belief, even though I, I had the talent and the work ethic and so forth, a lot of persons helped me along the way. Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't have been where I'm at today if it wasn't for the help along the way. You know, um, in terms of brand management, I've always been grateful to Andre Cohen. A lot of the skills that, you know, I learned from my early days there as a senior marketing officer, you know, are things that carry me to this day, you know, managing my own brands. So whenever I, you know, I get an opportunity to help other persons and so forth, you know, I will help them, um, you know, as best as I can. Um, and I would say, you know, be good to people. Um, be good to people. You know, people think that networking is... Or, you know, let me meet Terry, take Terry's business <laughs> card. And if only I had one. I can call Terry at some point. But, you know, if you, you, you probably don't even understand that because you treated this person horribly or you were jerked to this person, then, you know, you, you were jerked to Garfield a year ago. You think that, you know, you want to call Terry a year later. And Garfield will be like, uh, no, you know, be good to people. So, like, I find out sometimes some things will take a, a, a long time for it to happen. But the moment it starts happening, it doesn't stop. So don't allow the bad or things that are slow or not going at your pace to stop you. Um, just focus um, whether it is, you know, you just need to break down like, okay, you know, what do I need to do different? Or I just need to keep pushing, keep pushing. Things will work out your way. So focus on the positive and something that you touch on as well, you know, ensuring that, you know, you have the right team, your tribe. Mm-hmm. Finding my tribe made a huge difference in my life. You know, having my tribe that will call me out to say, no, this is not right. That's or not cool. You're wrong for this. 
or yo i love this you know continue to do this i'm proud of you um you know noticing my tribe where the conversation moved from when we're at ue we'd laugh and joke we still laugh and joke but we're talking about stocks you know we're talking about investment we're talking about this you know ensuring you have the right tribe that will call you out when you need to be called out that will encourage you that will love you you know your tribe is really key and that they're evolving. You, you also mm-hmm. want to be around a tribe that is not stagnant and in one place, but also learning and evolving as they go along. Absolutely. All right. Um, so for what you can remember, finish the sentence. Redirection is. Or what, um, has, redirect, what has redirection done to you? Um, redirection has taught me that I can literally do anything that I put my mind to. Um, redirection has taught me to believe in myself. Redirection has taught me that sometimes you get knocked down, but when you get back, but it's how you get back up um, mm-hmm. from from it. You know, redirection has really made me realize that there is no script. You know, you are the author of your book. You you write your own story mm-hmm. um, and how you want it to go. You know, there's no set play to say this is how you have to do it you have to do this you have to do that you know i told myself i had a, when when i was 20 i said by the time i was 30 i wanted to be a brand manager i was a brand manager by 25 um so you know just redirection is just not giving up and you know it's just just keep going and just being driven and being fueled um by your passion and just being doing good things and being good to people um yeah your path and as you write your book yeah where 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 next do you even know yeah i i I don't know (laughs) and it's okay and is it okay not to know and the reason why i'm asking is because when you speak to youngsters now because we're in like an insta world where they feel like everything have to be instant so i come out of school so i expect to get that six-figure job instantly i'm going to get that big office instantly i'm going to get all the perks and all the you know benefits instantly and they don't seem to realize that some of the people who they see as influencers and they see as online mentors it took them years 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 i mean I was working at Cool as, you know, working in the studio at Cool FM um, in the library. Um, you know, I was a flyer boy for years. I did many unpaid internship or, or, you know, presented ideas to brand. Hey, come and execute this on campus. And then just me presenting those opportunities, not being paid for it, but, you know, just I was just passionate and I wanted to build those relationships. It made it easy for me to get in that door in a marketing position at Rare Neville. So, you know, things are not going to come easily. You know, things aren't going to appear, but, you know, just keep working mm-hmm. and just keep working. It's, it's, it will happen at some point. And just hearing what you said a while ago just reminds me of something that I always tell my online community, which is your excellence should be unconditional. So whether it's your first job, your unpaid job, my first job paid me 20 US dollars a week and I was bomb at it. Like I was, I ended up being employee of the week for the seven of the eight weeks that I was there because my excellence is not hinged on what mm-hmm. you pay me. I'm going to do the best that I can. So I think on that note, um, as you mentioned, uh, being at Monroe and you're taught to be a man of excellence, you know, you're a student of excellence. I think um, that work ethic that you have is no matter what you were within your period of time or your journey, you chose to be 
excellent at every single turn and every single corner. And um, I appreciate you for being outspoken. I follow you on Twitter and you've always been someone who has stood up, you know, you, and you speak very openly about what it is you believe in and what it is you do not think is right. Um, it takes bravery. It takes uh, boldness and it takes a certain level of understanding of who you are to be that person in the space on and on, on, online as well as, as offline. So I thank you so very much. And I look forward to not just seeing how your kids grow because I see that black boy joy. I see that black girl joy. I see you being exemplary in terms of just a man navigating this world and, and breaking stereotypes around what a man should be and how he should act and how he should be with his kids. And I think that's a, um, that's a very, very beautiful legacy that you are leaving for your kids. Okay. So for persons who want to find you, network with you, you know, become a part of your tribe or your family, where do they find you? Uh, yeah, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at IB Conte. I-B-K-O-N-T-E-H. Yes, please do not call the man. <laughs> I'm not even going to ask him what other persons have, have called him over this period of time. But, um, but thank you so very much. I see you doing politics very soon. Um, let me, let me, let me know. Let me know. We'll have a part two where we can talk about the next chapter of your journey. But just thank you so very much, IB. Um, from you know, just a boy growing up in Sierra Leone, you know, being a, a victim of civil war, being a refugee and somehow not allowing that to define who you are and not playing victim, you know, and expecting the world, you know, to, to give you what is owed to you, I think is absolutely amazing. And it's, 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 it's nice to know that I know you in person. So I wish, you, I wish you all the best. Um, and I look forward to seeing where, where your next chapter will take you. Thank you. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, man. Thanks. Thank you. Kisses to the family. Keep Perfect. doing your thing. Keep showing your love. And maybe I will show up at Soka. Whatever Soka. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, Gar maybe. Garfin and I will roll through. Okay? All right. Looking forward to it. Yeah, man. Thanks a lot, sweetheart. All right. Thank you again. Take yeah, care. Man.